Welcome to Out of Game, a podcast featuring unique segments and discussions about board games, card games, RPGs, gamers, and gamer culture. Here are your hosts, Ryan, Chris, and Tim, as they go out of game. Welcome to episode 37 of Out of Game. 37. This is Ryan. This is Chris. This is Tim. And we're a podcast about board games. Board games. So, in today's episode, we're going to be doing the listener question segment, but we're not going to call it that anymore. In we, fact, have, we have a new name. We do. So, as you recall, we had the Cold Water Crown contest. And for that contest, you had to submit names for this segment. Because we wanted to make it a regular table talk segment. And we we randomly selected the winner of the contest. But now we're revealing who actually chose the name. Who actually gave us the name that we've chosen for the segment. And what was that? We had a long, arduous debate. We did. <laughs> yes, it was. And, but we settled on a victor. The winning name is Listener's Corner. And that was by? That was submitted by Eden Hansen. Thank you, Eden. Thank you. Good suggestion. There were a lot of great suggestions. I was, we were on there. Uh, we were just talking about this off air, but we were looking at some of the suggestions before the podcast, and there were a lot of good ones out there. Yeah. So we have a creative community of listeners. We thank you, everyone, for submitting uh, the names. But we have chosen Listener's Corner by Eden. Now, I'm sorry, Eden, you didn't actually win anything. <laughs> I hope I hope we didn't confuse you there. We just chose your name. So from now on, we will call the this segment the Listener's Corner. Yes. Listener's Corner. I've, I've been instructed not to have a the. Listener's Corner. It's much cleaner. Yeah. The the just is a you know dangling part. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the Facebook. It's kind of like right. the Out of Game Podcast. Right. Right. We, we have like three names. We have the Out of Game Podcast. Out of game podcast and out of game. An OG. An OG. <laughs> it might be confusing for people. It would be. So in case you guys can't find us, maybe you're looking for the wrong name. But anyway, before we get to listener's corner, let's jump into our spawn point. I'm going to start. So my spawn point, I want to talk about my fishing vacation. What? I went on a fishing vacation. Was this a fishing board game? Um... Well, I did bring a fishing board game called Coldwater Crown, which is one of the things I was going to talk about, but also brought a lot of other games. So on this trip, we did fishing, which was fun, caught some fish. And then at night, we played some board games. Not every night, but played some games with... So it was, it was me and Esther and the kids and Esther's mom on the trip. Her dad had to stay home because Esther has a huge garden, and if we left the garden for a week, everything would die. <laughs> So he literally stayed home. To he take got care of the shafted to be the gardener. Wow. I don't think he wanted to go, to be honest, wow. on the fishing. So it was like, he's like a bachelor for a week. Wow. You know, we got back. He was like a new man. So he had dinner prepared. Fishing. He had done all this stuff around the house that we didn't, <laughs> weren't expecting. So but anyway, we had fun. You know, we played, we played some potion explosion on this trip. So when we're, whenever we're playing games with Esther's mom, they have to be games that could be, trans easily translated because she doesn't speak english which means they they can't have a lot of card text in fact they can't have any card text if they have if they do it has to be very minimal to the point that esther could translate it to her and she would just remember so potion explosion works well for that and quirkle so 
anyways, I think our listeners have, know of those two games. Both excellent games. Watched some movies, but played uh, Cold Water Crown. So I want to talk about I played it solo. So I was going to play it with Esther. It actually has a solo, has rules to play solo. So it's not like I was just playing it against my, myself. And it was it was a cool game. I, so I I am actually looking forward to playing it with people. But the solo game was cool. I lost the solo game. It's pretty hard. But it has this really interesting mechanism where you're using worker placement, but your your worker is a disc with a number. So it, on one side it says one, and on one side it says two. So you put out the one, and if, if you're doing the action that has a one on it, then it's like a like a lesser version of the action. But then after you put the one disc out, there's other discs on the board and you take one a, a disc off from somewhere else and you do the action for that one. So you could put down a one and take off a two. And when you do the two, it's like a better version of the action. I just thought that was a cool mechanism. So you're getting two actions every turn and they could be two twos or two ones just because when you take one off, you flip it over to its other side and then you place it with that side the next time. So if you took a one off... It would flip to a two, and the next time you placed it, it would be a two. So you could potentially get double twos if you plan your turns right. The game has beautiful artwork. I, the solo game was was good. It was easy. It wasn't stupid like a lot. A lot of games have a solo <laughs> variant that's kind of dumb. This one I could tell was well thought out and it was hard. So yeah, looking forward to getting more plays in of Cold Water Crown. So I'm 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 feeling good about giving that one away. Uh, and of course that was. Sponsored by Bellwether Games. Uh, you know, they provided the game, but it's a good game, I think. Coldwater Crown. Fishing game. Played oh, a fishing game on a fishing trip. Are we giving away another game? It's pretty cool. We are. Future Ryan's going to come in later and explain okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, Coldwater Crown was one of my magic number games. Uh-oh. What are we down to? Anyway? I'm down to eight. Wow. Single digit? Yeah. It's serious now. So, I have one friend. My friend Adam has committed to helping me finish by the end of the year. He, on the next game day that I have in my house, he's he's agreed to play three of my games, so that will get it down to five. And one of the games I can pl- also also has solo rules, so that would get it down to four. So I've got a plan to get it to four. Worst case, what's right before the end of the year? Christmas? Yeah, I can always get you a Christmas present. Yeah, <laughs> can always return it. No, I don't think you'll return it. It's a Christmas present. It depends on what the present is. It'd be a game. Uh-huh. Game you haven't played. I'm not sure if I like your taste. No, the magic games. number of one. <laughs> Worst case, yeah. right before the end of the year. All I have to do is get to zero at some time during the year. That's how the magic number challenge works, at least. Okay. So, and let, then, let me know when you get around two or three. Oh yeah, I'll be sure to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and from here on out, you will not hear magic number updates. <laughs> so yeah, eight. Wish me luck. I don't even remember what my actual New Year's resolution was. But I know we have I feel to go like back and listen. I feel that. like it's become this. Instead, I have no clue. No, that's what happened last year. Yeah, yeah. Last year, I thought the whole year that I was doing one resolution, and I was actually supposed <laughs> to be doing another one. Nice. So, anyway, what's your uh, what's your spawn point? I'm done. Mine's done. My spawn point's kind of interesting. I came up with a way to grant wishes. <laughs> okay. Now th- that's assuming that you believe in the 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 birthday wish rule, where you know. You know how, like, when you make a birthday wish or the eyelash wish or any of those where... A little salt over the shoulder. Yes. The rule is that you can't... You're not supposed to say your wish or your wish won't come true. Is that a wish? Is the wishbone like that, too? The wish melon? You're not supposed to to say what your wish is. Yeah. Because if you say your wish, the wish won't come true. So here's here's how I figured it out. I wish Chris Chris would find a way to create grant wishes. Uh, No. 
That's not Did it. Did I break it? No, that's okay. not it. Okay. <laughs> so let's say that I want a promotion at work. Done with the system. Wait till my birthday, which by the way is coming up soon. Get a birthday cake and uh, light some candles. Sing the happy birthday song. And then I wish in my mind, I don't want the promotion. Blow out the candles. And then I tell you guys my wish. <laughs> that means my wish isn't going to come true. Which means I get the promotion. Okay, so the strength of breaking the wish is stronger than the strength of the wish. That's a rule that is unanimously accepted. So it must have some strength. Interesting. Interesting. Now, what is the priority of wishes? Like, if you do that, and then I wish the opposite and tell everyone. Whoever's last wins. So it's like that Seinfeld episode. Whoever's last. So last in, first out? Yes. Or, Or liar, liar. Liar, liar. Yeah, same thing. His birthday wish was why he couldn't lie. Yeah, but but in that one, that was just a simple, he blew out the candles and his wish came true. They never really explained why that happened. Yeah, this, this is using the system that we all accept to our advantage okay. in a way that hasn't been done before. Okay. This is similar to my floating cats theory. Did I ever tell you about that? No, but you're going to right now. That's okay. We don't have to talk no, about it. No, I want to hear it. I got to hear about floating no, cats. No, I'm saying I want to hear this. All right. I figured out a way to make cats levitate. Okay. So did you ever notice when you're buttering some bread and it slips out of your hand, it always lands butter side down 100% of the time, which is fate. Okay. Now, cats, as you know, always land on their feet. Okay. So if you take a piece of bread and butter it and strap it to the cat's back so that the butter side is facing up and you toss the cat off of the table, he'll levitate. Wouldn't you want to put it on his feet? No. Because the butter, oh, that'll make it hit the, the butter wants to hit the ground. Okay, but the cat's feet want to hit the ground, and so it can't resolve. Oh, so it'll like, <laughs> so nothing will happen. I feel like the cat wouldn't even fall at all. It exactly, just, like, he yeah, levitates. Uh, it'd be right there. Yeah, I like this. Theory. Yeah, so you <laughs> might have just come up with the first anti gravity machine. Yes, butter <clears throat> and the wishes. So those are the two things I've. Come it's up not with. just butter though. It has to be butter on bread. Yes, it's got to be real butter, none of that margarine crap. Yeah. Butter, yeah, because butter always lands on the, on the, you know, yeah. So is is this what you were thinking of because you couldn't see out of the one eye that that time? So you had to pontificate things. So I have been doing a lot of thinking lately in my life. I, I you know, I'm just picturing Chris like on his birthday at home alone with a birthday hat on, blowing out a candle, secretly making a wish. And then what? Like, I mean, the whole story sounded kind of sad. And then you call it us. Sounds and, a lot sad. And then you now. call us and tell us your wish. Because nobody's at my birthday. Is that yeah. what you're trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> and a very sad image of my mind. Yeah. Right? I've got a hat on. I'm by myself. <laughs> and it's a, it's a cupcake with a candle on it. Yeah. And he drops the cupcake and it lands icing down. Right. It makes him think of the bread. Right. And the butter. And then he calls us to tell us that he wished he didn't get a promotion. I mean, it's a very sad story if you think about it. Yeah, now that you put it that way. Anyway. So you're going to have a birthday party? I want to I wanna test this theory. Uh, I don't know. Why don't we have a birthday like birthday board games? Ooh, Ooh yeah. It can be fun. And then you can then, then the sad story won't play out. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. I have to talk to people and make sure they're not planning any surprises for me. Okay. So I have, a, I have a feeling that there's something going on. Okay. Ooh, do you think like this is the whole end around, fake you out kind of thing? Well, I, no, it's a long story. I just have, I, I, I get a prickly feeling, little prickly. hairs raising on the back of my neck, you know, okay. got a feeling people are planning something. Hmm. I have no proof, but 
Okay. Yet. Just wait for that levitating cat. Yeah. And we'll know. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I've been working on a new, uh, we're starting a new, uh, D&D campaign. Not D&D. It's going to be GURPS, but it's going to be fantasy-based GURPS. So uh, we're retiring retiring Star Wars. Um, Jim will be running, and then Tom will be running, and I will be running. So it's going to be kind of a poly-GM kind of campaign. Oh, interesting. So we're going to kind of have, you know, we're going to roll up our own characters, and then they'll be NPCs when we're the game master. So we're getting back to fantasy. So I'm building this... uh, Hearst Arts Castle that we're going to use as the main base. We've never done a like localized gaming campaign. Everything for us is always epic world travel. You know, we're going all over the map and stuff. This one's going to be more localized. So I'm actually building a huge castle out of Hearst Arts stone. It's, it's Burn Church Castle. You can look it up. Modeling it off of that castle. The thing's probably going to stand on about uh, two and a half feet high. It's looking pretty good. I'm on level. I'm working on level three right now. Stonemasons are going, molding, chipping, putting things together. So it's a five level castle. We're on three, so we're about halfway through. Pictures. And uh, So your characters that you're generating mm-hmm. are going to be in the game even when you're GMing. Yeah, it'd be kind of like you know yours. Well, you, you know, there's just NPCs running rampant, except one of the NPCs will actually be our character. But you can make sure they don't die then. Well, you know, there, there are good ways to slip in information maybe or things like that. You know. So uh, the, are the three of you, are you coordinating the plot? And the, the we're kind of, we're going to kind of have like, you know, the main overarching story, which Jim is responsible for setting up and stuff like that. And then we'll probably just doing like little side adventure something. You know, say we got to go get a, a wishing stick. Maybe Tom runs that to, to go get the, the stick. But okay. then the main campaign arc is still kind of gyms. And we'll have our own NPCs. So it's going to be, we're going to have a, a, a church, I guess, that's heavily involved. So we'll kind of like each have our own priest in the church that kind of has their own view on things. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. We've done a, a poly GM campaign once before. It worked out really well. The campaign ran for about four to five years. Wow. Um, this is when we created these ungodly GURPS characters. At the end, I think we we're all 350 to 400 character points. That's how long we played. And we basically retired that campaign because there was nothing that, you know, could be done. So, yeah. Are you going to record it? Going to record. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We're yeah, kind of addicted I, to that, too. I, I we're, we're, hear. we're recording everything. So, uh, see how this castle goes. And, uh, yeah, when, when I get it completed, I'll, I'll do some picks. It's going to be it's going to be epic. Sounds cool. I have two questions for you. Yeah. Would you ever consider making, like, the Temple District? Like a map, like a, like oh a 3D God. map of the Temple District? That would take so long. It's not even funny. Okay, I don't know what's involved with making these things. Imagine taking a little one inch by half inch by half inch brick. Okay. And putting them all together to build something. So if you're talking like dozens of buildings, that's a lot of time. Could you buy like pre-made buildings? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of people that but do that. But then use like other train and stuff to make a map. What do you mean by make a map? Like you'd have the land... Mm-hmm. But you would use, for the buildings, you would just buy something pre-made. You can. So I mean, you, would, you would make a map. It would be a 3D map with terrain and everything. It, it would be very pricey even if you were okay. buying the things. It's not cheap. Dwarven Forge does a bunch of town city stuff now. You know, it's $80 for a set. And it doesn't build you that much. I mean, it's it's very pricey stuff. So. Okay. My second question, which is more likely to be possible, is I'm assuming at some point in Alvaron there's going to be an arena maze. I'm just making an assumption. And we should build that. Like, that could be built, right? Oh, we could, build, yeah, we could build that out of uh, the Dwarven Forge stone I have. Yeah. How cool would that be if the arena maze is actually a 3D maze? Mm, pretty cool. All right. Well, that was our spawn point, I guess. It's time to move on to Listener's Corner. 
Future Ryan here, and as alluded to by Chris, we are going to do a contest. But this contest isn't the fruit of our generosity. It's actually the fruit of the generosity of Kenny Owens, winner of the previous contest. Kenny, by chance, happens to work for Amazon Toys and Games. And he has mentioned to me through email that he wanted to see if Amazon Toys and Games would donate a game to our show. And I don't know if you ever attempted that or not, but Kenny, on behalf of Amazon Toys and Games, has decided to donate a game to the show for a contest. And that game is the Polish version of Mysterium. Now, I'm going to try my best to pronounce this just once. And here we go. So the, the actual name of this game is Tajemenitz Damastavo. And I know that's wrong. And if we have a Polish listener out there, maybe the ambassador to Europe could help us with this. Yeah. So anyways, we're just going to call it the Polish version of Mysterium. Now, you might know that this was the original version of the game that was released and kind of took the gaming industry by storm. And then eventually Mysterium was released in the US. But before that, a lot of people had to go out and buy this Polish version of the game. And it, now this game is hard to find uh, in the Polish version but Kenny has a sealed copy fresh in the shrink wrap that he's going to give away to one of our listeners so thank you so much Kenny for your generosity and thank you to Amazon Toys and Games. I don't know how much you're involved, but, you know, we hope that maybe someday in the future we could be sponsored by Amazon Toys and Games. Wouldn't that be uh, <laughs> kind of neat? And I think everyone kind of knows that Amazon.com does have a lot of board games. And if you just want to get one game and get the free shipping, that's the way to go. You know, there's a lot of these online sites, cool stuff, who uh, we always mention. But, you know, you have to build up an order of $100 typically to get free shipping. Well, if you just want one game, game and you don't have a local game store nearby or you'd rather get a discount uh, amazon's still the place to do that so amazon toys and games apparently kenny works for them so even more incentive to buy from them but anyway uh what we what we want you to do to join this contest is to join our slack group so if you go out to our bgg guild there's been a thread out there i think it's called join the out of game slack group and i keep a link updated in there and all you have to do is click that link and it will join you to our slack group we want more people in our Slack group because uh, out in the Slack group, uh, we, we're having chat, you know, real-time chat. So it's just another way to correspond with us. And Chris and Tim and I are all in there and we'll respond to your chats probably more quick, quickly than we would in any other place because it pops up a notification on our phone as soon as someone starts chatting in there. So go out and join our Slack group. And then I'm going to start a channel in the Slack group called Contest. And all I want you to do is join our Slack group, find the Contest chat channel, Channel, and in there, just tell me what. Tell me the last thing you bought on Amazon.com. That's what we'll do. Okay, so go out to join our Slack group, find the channel called Contest, and tell us the last thing you bought on Amazon.com. That will give you an entry. The deadline for this contest is Sunday, November 19th at 11.59 p.m. CST. Okay, so that's the contest. Thanks again to Kenny. Thanks again to Amazon Toys and Games. And looking forward to somebody winning a copy of the Polish version of Mysterium. Good luck, everyone. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like Rolling Dice and Taking Names or the Party Gamecast featuring the Party Gamecast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. We have lots of questions still. Lots. Good questions. Still plowing through. Yeah, I'll just fire off the first one. All right. Kids and Games. Who's this by? This is by Fed Spaz. 
Something I see is adults that don't like kids playing games with them, assuming they are too immature to play. I have a teenager and preteen. Sometimes people just aren't welcoming when they want to play. But both my kids are great gamers and just want to have fun with everyone. How do you guys feel about kids playing a game with you? And how do you feel about other adults who shun kids? Mm, so, so we've uh, we've seen this. We've been on both sides of this. Because I remember at Gen Con, we would specifically target getting people out of games like the werewolf games that are kids. Because they don't, quote unquote, make the best gamers for some of these because they're quiet. And in 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 the board gaming world, we've had people bring their kids, but they're older. Right. And so they they fit in a little easier. So I don't know. For me, I can kind of see both sides. I guess it matters what what you're calling kids to. Are we talking five to seven years old or you know, are we talking eight to ten? Well he said a, he has a teenager and a preteen. So I mean there there you're talking much older. You're talking, you know, probably 10 and 14 or something like that. Right. That's totally valid gamers. I, that, I think it depends on the maturity level yeah, of the kid. It's, it's going to vary for sure. But yeah, I mean, those can be very bright at those ages and still be very much participating. It's not just about being able to play the game though. So I've said this before. Sometimes gaming fun is more about the people than about the game. And we've seen this happen where you could have a really bad experience with a game and then play the same game later, but with all new people and then have a good experience. And I'm not saying that playing games with kids isn't fun. It can be very fun. And there's nothing wrong with it. But sometimes you, you want to be able to, to talk about something non-game related. Okay, so I was watching football over the weekend and they were playing this song that drives me crazy. Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. The song is everywhere all of a sudden. <laughs> they were doing it during timeouts. You could hear them playing in the in the background. And then I saw it on a car commercial. The guy's like, oh, my gosh. Sweet Caroline. Good times never seem so good. The, the, the song is everywhere, and I don't get it. Hmm. I want to be able to vent about how overrated Sweet Caroline is to the people I'm playing my game with and have them understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> if there's a preteen there, maybe he doesn't know. Now, having said that, to the point of the, the listener question, if somebody brings their kids over and they want to play, I'm going to be the first one pulling up a chair. I don't think you ever turn people away if they want to play. All right. The only way you wouldn't let them play is if there's not a, if the game has a max of six and there's seven people, then you have a problem. But if somebody wants to play a game, let them play the game. If they're even preteen. There's one caveat that I would add to this, though. If the kid is there because dad wasn't allowed to go to game night without bringing the kids. So in other words, the kids aren't really there right? because they want to play games. They're just there because someone dragged them there. Yeah, I would uh, totally agree with you there. Yeah, and they're not really wanting to play. They're just there. Then I am kind of not so in favor of that, unless I unless it's obvious that they are engaged and they actually want to play. And you can usually tell with a kid around that age yeah. if they want to play or not. And then there's sometimes you're in a game with a kid and they start like losing interest. And that's what I'm. That's what I was saying about the maturity level. Like, 
it's it can be hard if they start losing interest and then they're like not paying attention or they're messing around or doing something that's distracting from the gameplay. I feel like it's the parents' responsibility to know if their kid can really play in the game or not. And I think in in the case of the of Fed Spaz, he's saying that these kids are both great gamers and, and typically beat him in games. So it sounds like they have a maturity level to be able to play the games and compete in the games. And I don't see any reason, especially for a teenager. Yeah, I, I would I would venture to guess that teenagers are probably sharper at games than a lot of like people our age. It's true, you know, because they they're you know they can think more quickly on their feet or whatever. So yeah, I you know we got Dave who loses attention you know all the time. So I mean, well, this goes back to to uh, when we were gaming, gaming down at uh, our modern buddy Aaron's house. And this is when Chris Johnson was still here and he brought over Ian and Evan and they were still younger, you know, same, same kind of age thing like that. They were into the games. They wanted to be in the games. They were playing bullet bowl with us. They were having fun. You know, they were, they were a great part of the group and, you know, nothing like a 14 year old strategy versus a 35 year old strategy. I mean, you can see complete difference in gameplay and stuff like that. And, you know, it's kind of cool, especially when we were doing blood bowl because, you know, you'd be playing this one person, they'd be playing it this way, and then you go play the kid, and it's like it's like random chaos because they're just they're doing whatever they want and just not really necessarily trying to be as strategic, but they're still having fun and it's still a fun game. So I think to your point, it's it's all about the kid's interest. If they're interested, I think it'll be fun. If they're just being brought along as yeah. babysitting, it's it's gonna be torture. Yeah, and I think that's the key for me is don't don't drag your kids to game night. Just don't do that. Yeah. Don't drag them there. Yes. Only You should only bring your kids, I think, one, if you personally feel that they have the maturity level to play, and two, if they want to come. <laughs> Next question is from Kent Blue 82 Kent says, hey, all found your show through the contest and really liked it. Subscribed. I don't know if you've discussed it before, but I like to hear about themes, types of games you just don't want to play anymore. For me, I'd be fine if I didn't have to play another social deduction game again. Amen, Kent. <laughs> I'm kind of with him on that one, as you guys well know. I'm 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 kind of burnt on the social deduction. I don't care if you're a werewolf or a Cylon or or a witch or, or a witch. Really? I just want to play. Well, that if you're talking witch hunt, that's the whole point of that game. But you're talking like the one night werewolves, the coup, the resistance, all those. Battlestar Galactic, uh, I, I just, I don't, I don't care. Whereas like, you know, Dead of Winter, there's the traitor element there, but I don't necessarily have to focus my whole game on finding out who the traitor is. I have objectives I am trying to reach and I'm trying to keep the village safe. And yes, there may be a traitor and that's something I can kind of think about, but it's not the whole point of the game. Why do you like witch hunt then? Well, that's kind of the whole point of the game there, though. It's, 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 that's more the social interaction. This is not a board game trying to re, you know, do the same I thing. I think Witch Hunt transcends the social deduction it genre. It does. I don't think there's much of a difference between Witch Hunt and One Night Werewolf. There's a to- one Night Werewolf is one thing. It's done, and you're, you know, it's like an eight-minute game. Well, I would say that Witch different. Hunt is like more of a, a LARP. It's like a LARP. You each have a role. Yeah. But you, you each have a role in One Night Werewolf, too. And your goal is the same. Your goal is to find the witch or werewolf. <laughs> your eyes are yeah. darting back and forth. So uh, my, my point is, I think you got burned out on them. Oh, big time. I, I don't think you dislike them, but I think you just, I, you're spent. You know, you know, I didn't enjoy them. Like, Resistance, eh, I had more fun making up the mission yeah. than I did playing the game. <laughs> 
So I, it's, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's very simple, very, you know, I just, I just got to a point where it's like, I just want to play a game, have a strategy and, and, and play it and not be like, Oh God, I wonder what Chris is this time. Because hmm. it's just, it, just gets, it gets old. Yeah. And then you spend so much time debating on who is what, and then nothing actually happens in the game because it's like, oh, geez, you know, it's Ryan. Is he, is he, in a, is he a Cylon? Like, who cares? Just try, try to take your turn, do what you're doing. <laughs> okay. So Tim Tim agrees with Kent. Yeah, I, that's, that's the one game. What about I Ryan? Think. Well, so thinking about this, I think one that has kind of creeped up on me that I'm tired of is space. Just like generic what? space themes. The Final Frontier? What about X-Wing? Yeah. Yeah, right. No, uh, and I was actually going to specifically say this, in, except for Star Wars. Star Wars is like the one exception. But like space themed games, like, so if, if you put two games in front of me, there's a perfect example of this actually. I have a, I have a um, drafting game called Among the Stars, which is a space theme. They released, they re released this game with a new theme, and it's like farming. It's called Fields of Green, and they added some new mechanisms, but. I would. I'm considering getting rid of Among the Stars and buying Fields of Green. Is it like World War One farming? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. I, for some reason, there's just so many space games coming out now that I, it's like boring me. I, I want new themes. Interesting. So that would be one. And then for types of game, I think any kind of push your luck game. I'm just not interested in the the one exception to that is Celestia. Like of all the push your luck games that I've played, that's like the only one I like at this point. I don't like any other one that I've played. So I guess high high recommendation for me if you want to buy a push your luck game, just buy Celestia and ignore all the other ones out there. Yeah, I'd agree. Celestia is a good call. Yeah, um, Ink and Gold is another push your luck game, which isn't. It's like really popular. It's probably I would say one of the most talked about push your luck games. And I think Celestia is three times better than Ink and Gold or more. You're making more strategic decisions. I, I don't know what it is. It's the Dar. The Dar factor is higher. Maybe that's what it is in Celestia than, than Ink and Gold. That makes sense. I know that Ryan, you don't like push your luck games, and Tim, he doesn't, he's worn out on the social game. So for me, I think the common misconception is like, I don't like random games. I don't mind random games as long as it's everybody's acknowledging that it's random. My biggest games that I don't like them- thematically and mechanically are games that pretend they're strategic, but they're not. They're like a wolf in sheep's clothing. When you break it down, there's an illusion that what you do affects the game. But underneath the sheets, it's really what you're doing doesn't have much, if anything, to do with the outcome. And that was one of the reasons I really railed on Sushi Go, because that that's a perfect example of... of I'm looking on the table and people are concentrating on their hands and thinking that what they're doing is affecting the game when it's really about what your past and the timing of everything. And I don't like games that let you think that what you're doing is strategic. Like Robo Rally is another one where everybody's like doing their registers and they're old. They they have their winning strategy. Now this all changed with Colt Express for me because Colt Express was a little bit like a junior Robo Rally where you're, you're doing the program movement and then seeing how it unfolds, but it's silly fun. And because it was so lighthearted, it was enjoyable. It was the same thing, really, random wise. You know, you're crashing your program movement against other people. Yeah. You have no idea what other people are going to do. Uh, you know, you see some of the public 
moves that are done, but it's still you know you have a little more information. You do, than but, but it's, it's it. You can't go into there being a brilliant person and win. Okay. Sure, it, unless you have ghost. No, yeah, that's <laughs> the most broken. Character. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to derail you. Just want to point that so, out. So, so my my thing is, I don't like games where there's this feel that they're strategic when they're not. All right, well, yeah. name three games like that. So you named Sushi Go. Give me two more examples. Oh, can we pause the tape? Well, he said yeah. he said Robo Rally. Robo Rally so is one. Two. So those are both okay. Robo Rally. I think another one. What's the game that you? I can't remember the name. Camel of it. Up. No, the game Camel Up is a perfect example of my point. Though I don't mind playing Camel Up. It's a silly game, completely. I'm ninety percent random. Yeah. Very low dar factor, but it's still fun. I think everyone agrees that game is random. Yeah. I think that's that, my point. Yeah. It's when it's when people start thinking, oh, they're going to hunker down and they're going to they're going to come up with a strategy to win when they're fooling themselves. Okay. That makes me crazy. Now, the game that you tried teaching us that you thought we would all like, and none of us liked it because it was too random. Spirium. Yes, Spirium. Okay. That game, it had this great theme. It had, I, I think it had pretty good components, too. Yeah, it did. And it was, what you did didn't really affect the game. At least that was my experience when I played it. And that was why I didn't like it. I don't know if, if other people didn't like it for the same reason. I don't even remember. No one remembers it except yeah, you and me. That, that's probably, uh, that, that's, that would be my third example. Okay. But I could always come up with more of a, if I have time to think. Kind of put me on the spot. But yeah, <laughs> games that, okay, I have another one. All right. Code names, non-pictures. All right, because there, there's just this. You're you're throwing spitballs at the wall at the end of the game and hoping it's like the game of concentration. It's a game you play with your kids where it's a regular fifty-two card deck and you're trying to get the matches. Uh huh. And by the end, you can just get matches randomly when the when the cards get or small based enough. on previous clues. Based on previous clues, right? But at the same time, it's not skill. You're you're sort of like, and then your odds of being lucky go up because of previous clues. But it's still, I'm going to pick that one and see if I'm right or wrong. Okay. Because you're using process of elimination. That's the first time you've clues. ever explained that and I've agreed with you. <laughs> because you usually don't. Because my theories are okay, but my explanations are. Maybe that's surprised. maybe that's true. Okay. So anyway, I actually love Kent's question because it's fascinating to me to see because not everybody's going to agree on what is fun and not fun. Everybody has different tastes and it's interesting in your own game group, what kind of games people don't like because it varies from person to person. Uh, It definitely varies in our group quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, we have people just like Kent and Tim who very strongly don't like social games and that's, you can't convince somebody to like a game that they just don't like. I mean, they just don't like that kind of game. And, you know, I could get, I could find some sort of push-your-luck game and just, come on, Ryan, this is different. You're going to love it. No, he just doesn't like that kind of game. So, Or a deck builder. Or a deck builder. Yeah. Not cooperative. Completely changed my opinion. My, yeah. my opinion has sure. completely changed on cooperative games. Yeah. I actually now, like, I actually, in some ways, more interested in cooperative games than other games yeah, when I, th- I see I, them. I actually think you like cooperative games more than non-cooperative games. Right now, I might. From an outsider yeah, view. Yeah. I might right now. All right, SB54. I'd like to hear you guys talk about go-to games for each style of gamer. Example, New Gamer, The Euro Gamer, Kid Gamers, Amerithrash Gamer, etc. I like this question. Well, then why don't you start us off? Okay. 
So what's interesting is we talked about for okay for a new gamer, if I was going to pick one game to introduce to a brand new gamer, I think it would still be Ticket to Ride. But right now there's two competitors, I think. And it depends on if I think this person could become a serious gamer or if I think they would most likely always like to play kind of family games. If I thought this person had the potential to become a serious gamer, like they seemed like they would be interested, they just haven't been exposed yet, I would probably pick Splendor or Century. Because Splendor and Century are very similar. And right now I'm on the fence on which one I would use. I actually think Splendor's rules are just a little easier. I think, think so? I think Splendor's rules are a little easier, really? but the I think Century is a more interesting game. I, I would go so far as to say Century fits all these categories. <laughs> it, it's 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 the best new game that's been out. It's not an Ameritrash game. Though. I don't even know what that means. It means like a like a very thematic game that doesn't have a lot of strategy. Like what's an example? So the the name it, he said Ameritrash the the term that people used to use is Ameritrash, and that was referring to games like Monopoly, Risk, like all the old Life. American games that were just very luck based. But now, but they've extended it to include like very heavily thematic games that aren't uh, very strategic. Like Dead of Winter might be considered one. There's a little more strategy in that than some of the others. Uh, Be- Betrayal at House on the Hill is a perfect example. That would be an Ameritrash game. Hmm. There's not a lot of strategy in it. You're just having fun. There's a lot of randomness. It's not really balanced. But but you play it because of the theme and the fun that you have when you play it. Uh, so I would actually pick that as my Ameritrash. Kid gamers? Come on, flick them up, baby. <sighs> That's a good one. That's That one's... My daughter is insane for that still. But, but can she play it by the rules, though? Or she just she- flick the pieces? Uh, it's it's hard. She she enjoys doing the pieces now, but now I mean, she's she's seven now. I think if I sat down and tried to say, okay, we're gonna play this scenario, she could do it. Okay, she can do it. But she 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 just enjoys flicking stuff around. I mean, come on, what kid wouldn't? So I think my favorite kids game is a game called Outfoxed. Outfoxed. So it's it teaches deduction and it has this really cool um, component in it. It's hard to even explain it. It's like you're trying to figure out which fox is the thief of, of something, of a pie, I think. And you're doing it by, like, you're going to these spaces, and then you... So each space will have a an item that's represented, and all the there's all these foxes around the board, and they're all wearing different things. Like, some of them will have a top hat, some will have a monocle, some will have <laughs> whatever, right? And so, and then there's these tokens that have a top hat, monocle, a cane, a scarf. And then you put the token in this little thing and it has a window. You, you slide the window open and there'll be a dot. If the dot is red, I think that means that the thief is wearing that item. Uh, if it's green, it means they're not, they're not wearing it. Okay. And so you you start to eliminate some, but you, t- you ask the kid, okay, the, the thief isn't, doesn't have on a top hat. So which ones can we get rid of? And like I'll ask Evan, and he has to use uh, deduction to figure that out, right? Gotcha. Because he has to make the connection. Okay, they're not wearing a top hat. So the ones with the top hat didn't do it. You know, it's like right, this, right. this like deduction leap he has to make. It's it's really good. It, and um, so I would I would pick that for the and then kids. Does game. he have to go swipe or no swiping? Swipe or no so, swiping? <laughs> and then he removes the fox? No, we do that at story time now. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that you know that. Yeah. How about Eurogamer? What would you guys pick for a Eurogamer? It's like ladies. 
It's a perfect games. game. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if you have a Euro gamer and you're this, this is you know the go-to game, it is the perfect game. Uh huh. And it's guaranteed to be fun. It's not going to last too long. It's a uh, good old time. Yeah. If I make a prediction about this game, do you promise not to, <laughs> not to, <laughs> like, not fulfill the prediction out of spite? Sure. All right. right. I predict that this game is going to be dropped down to number three in a year. One That's year from today. That's not bold of a prediction. It's your favorite game. Yeah, but your favorite games go from number one to yeah, off your like list. 50, yeah. but, but you always rail on me for that. So you're, you apparently are different than me. Well, I'm loyal. You're less fickle. Yes, I'm less fickle. So it's not that I think it is a jump to go from one to three. I think it's, it's realistic that it won't be number one forever, though. I think you're realizing that you're wrong. <laughs> and that this game is going to be number three. And as time progresses... Well, we proved that opinions can be wrong. I think it will eventually bump out of your top ten. Wow, now there's a big... Bump. That's a prediction. That's bold. Now, if we keep playing new games, I, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a bold prediction. The, the top three, I could see it being bumped at three. Within five years, I'll, I'll say it's going to be out of your top ten. Wow. Yeah, that's bold. I'll give you that. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's such a great game. Eurogamers would like that game. I think Sky the... Sky the... Yeah, I'm so, I don't know which way you want to pronounce it now. Yeah. Would be the another great game. Yeah. Those would be my go-to Lords games. of Waterdeep. Yeah, that's would, a good one. I would definitely that's go with that. One. Or a Kalos. Kalos. Yeah, that's a classic. Kalos is kind of ugly. I wish they'd reprint it. Kalos is kind of ugly, but I think that's kind of its charm at the same point. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's charming. Come on, come on. Let's, let's go back and look. They, they weren't really all that pretty back then sometimes. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? Um, for Eurogamer, I was going to say Agricola. For some reason, that's Agricola. the one I always bust out. Probably after you've played like Splendor. <laughs> I would I would try Agricola. Try to get Agricola going because that was for me. That was like the first one I got into. So I know you can learn it. Like I learned it from scratch. Like no one even taught it to me. Yeah. So I know it's possible to learn, and it introduces you to a lot of Euro mechanisms at the same time. Nice. So I would choose that. All right. Let's move on to the next question. From this is from as Lundy two. He's asking about us to discuss. He wants us to discuss the traits of a good strategy or backstabbing game. Those are two different, completely different types of games. I don't agree. I think there. I think. <laughs> I think There's definitely strategy. It's like you predicted. I was going to say yeah. that. <laughs> I, I think that. I think that strategy and backstabbing go hand in hand in specific theme in specific mechanics. Uh, the the one that jumps out right away to me is Innis when we played that because that's basically. You can pounce and win. So there's, I don't know if you want to call it backstabbing, but you're taking away from somebody or an area that they control, you're taking away from them so that you control it. There's, there's ways to do kind of a three-pronged backstab on either the same person or multiple people. But you have to position your pieces and, I don't know, it, it's an example of blending strategy and backstabbing into the same thing. Same, same with Alien Frontiers. In the sense that you're controlling the middle area, and you're going to have to take take away from somebody else. You're actually taking victory points away. Mm-hmm. So I would count that as backstabbing, and it's also strategic because you're sort of waiting in the in the reeds to make your move and thinking a few turns ahead, and boom. So I don't you, agree that these two are hand in hand. All right, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, I don't Explain. know. Like, so backstabbing to me is you make a deal with someone and then you go on, you go against your deal. 
That's backstabbing. Bust a deal, spin the wheel. I feel like you're talking about cutthroat games. Yeah, I, I, I had a feeling you were going to say that. So to me, the reason, one of the reasons I'm not looking at it that way is because I don't think there's a good example of what you're talking about in a good game. I think that that is, is that's the thing that fractures the game and you're like risking out of game problems. When I think of backstabbing in a game element, it's taking victory points away from somebody in a time they're not expecting you to do that. So I don't know, maybe I'm okay. reading it wrong, but that's the only way you can couple strategy with the word backstabbing. Okay. So I actually, for some reason, I read this as two different types of games that they wanted tips for <laughs> or traits for. So I'm just going to talk about backstabbing because that was the one I was thinking of. I think a trait of a good backstabbing game is a game where it's expected that you're going to backstab people. So, so what I mean by that is, let's say we were playing Scythe and we made a deal that I wouldn't attack you this turn, that I won't attack you this turn and you can stay in that space or whatever. What, we made some deal. It's not really built into the rules to expect someone to make a deal like that and break it. But if you take a game like Diplomacy, everyone knows that what happens in Diplomacy if you want to win by yourself is that you backstab someone. Or there's a, there's a game called um, Lifeboats, where I, I've never played this game, but I, if I remember right, you're, you're on these lifeboats and basically every round you have to vote to throw someone off the boat. Like that's the rule of the game. So it's just expected to happen. Like Survivor. Yeah. Survivor is another example. What was the game that, that we played that was Dead Survivor? Last. Dead Last. Yeah. That's, so that's another one. Yeah, it's built, it's built into the game. I wouldn't say that was a good one though, but it's built into the game. What made that game weird was how you did it. I think that's what made it bad. So I think if you're going to have a, ba- a game where there's a lot of backstabbing, it has to be expected. Yeah. It's like built into I'll the agree. rules. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. So that that would be my my take on this one. Yeah. And for me, it's just, you know, traits of a good strategy game is kind of like the whole scythe. Multiple ways to win, multiple strategies. You know, if there's only a couple strategies in the game, there's not that many options to go with. So the better amount of paths you can go down, the better the strategy is going to be. Yeah. So options is huge for strategy. Yeah, and I think for strategy, to me, uh, the best strategy games are the ones with the s- simplest rules. In other words, the rules aren't hard to explain. The strategy is hard to master, yes. though. I, I think Scythe fits in that. I don't feel like Scythe is that hard to explain. No, I agree. It looks like it would be hard, but I feel like we can teach that game in five to ten minutes. Yeah, I would agree. And get started. Because everything's right there on the board. So yeah. uh, that would be one one thing I would add. I, I'm starting to steer away from games that I can tell have like complicated rule sets. Because that to me, that means I have to invest over an hour of my time to learn the rules. We'll play it. No one will it will be a throwaway game. And then if we don't play it again within like the next month, I'll have to do the the entire process over the next yeah. time we want to play it. It's true. And that gets, it's like, why would I want to do that when I can take a game like Scythe and I can remember the rules easily because they're easy to understand and we can get it back out and play it. So I don't know. I I think as time goes on, having complex rule sets is a bad thing, I think, for a strategy game. All right. Next one is from Rep Third. I would like to hear a topic about how to plan game days and the difference between getting a couple people together versus getting a large number of people together and splitting up groups or playing 
large player count games. So I, I think that this one pretty much comes down to the smaller groups are typically games you pre-plan. You know, like uh, we were talking about X-Wing. Mm-hmm. So you have a few people over and you know what you're playing. Right. Or in the old days, Magic. Or, or even RPGs. It's a smaller group, but you know what you're doing. Whereas a larger group, bring everybody bring a game or two and then we'll figure it out later. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's planning. You know, it's much easier to get three, four people together. You can kind of do that on the fly. Hey, you guys free Thursday. Great, come over. We're going to do X-Wing. But when you're talking larger groups, you have to pre-plan. You got to do something like Doodle. Get something out there. Get people to pick days and get people committed to a day so that you can put together a large group and have that kind of commitment that you know you're expecting eight to ten people, which then can dictate games that need to be brought and stuff like that. So it's going to be looser, but you need to have a better idea of who's coming and how many people are coming, so you can plan for larger groups. Yeah, I would agree with that. the The large number of people is by far the most planning. And I would actually add to your thing, Chris. Sometimes you might. One thing he didn't add here, but that I would add is some. There are some games where the game itself is an event. It's true. Like if like Twilight Imperium. So Twilight Imperium Four was just announced. I'm thinking about getting it. Oh, I've already played three, and the rules are basically the same. They just okay. upgraded the game and streamlined it a, a bit. But this is like an all day game. Like if you want to play it, you have to schedule it, and everyone has to be on board with one reading the rules ahead of time. Yeah. And that would be something I would add. If you're doing a game like that, try to have everyone read the rules ahead of time. And it has to be an event. Like you plan just to play that one game. Yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes you do that with the small groups too. Like I'm, I've been thinking about having magic number themed game days where I'm just inviting people over and they know they're coming over to help me get through my games. Wow. And and I have guys that have agreed to do like, they're committed to helping me. <laughs> It's like they know I have a problem and they want to intervene. <laughs> so, uh, but but in hindsight, do they realize that by solving your problem, it's opening the floodgates for it to happen again? Uh, yeah, if I lose control again, that could happen. Yeah. But I'm I'm you know, what happened at Gen Con, just tangenting back to the last episode, that's how I want to be in the future. I want to buy a game, one game, and then we play it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great idea because then you get multiple plays in one yeah. session. You have the upfront pain of learning the rules, but then you can get through it a couple times. I mean, we played Century three, four times, yeah, and every game was fun. So yeah. I think, yeah, that's that's a great experience. It's just when you get those the duds. Then. You have to be not afraid to bail, Yeah, which our group well, is we afraid. Know, we know David's got zero fear in bailing. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah, but to that's be- not because the game this itself is bad. It's usually his mood or his success and failure sure. in, within the game. Like, uh, what what was the the real time game where we couldn't talk? What's the name of that game? Oh, Magic, Magic Maze. Maze. Yeah, we should have bailed on that <laughs> in hindsight. Yeah. I think we were having trouble accepting that we weren't having fun. No, I think I think we wanted to win. Yeah, and that was the carrot tangling. That that's, was that's continuing the I would torture. agree with that one for sure. Okay, I love this next question. It's by Fat Jesus, or is it Jesus? I don't think so. Well, maybe I don't know. Would love to hear what you think about takebacks in games. If someone forgets to make a play, how far back are you willing to go? Same turn, same round. If it doesn't affect anything, or not at all. I love this question because we have stories we could tell. Oh yeah, about. The old Lord of the Rings game. Oh, yeah. Where this was a constant problem, where you, you would have to roll back because somebody forgot to do the math 
wrong and <laughs> forgot we, to play a card, forgot to do a block, forgot to use this guy instead of that guy. Yeah, we literally had one season, which means it was like several weeks of playing, where we decided we were going to be rule sticklers. Yes, it, was, it was jerk rules. Yes. We didn't call it that, but it was jerk rules. Yeah, it was more profane. Yes. But it meant you don't break the rules. We don't go against the rules. There's no take backs. It's 100% by the book. And it was because the take backs and rollbacks were getting ridiculous. Was it just one person? It was Tim. It was Tim. I and this guy. No, that was doing a lot of the take backs. One person did, I think, eighty percent of the All right, take. So backs. it was a problem with a person <laughs> in their group. Well, <laughs> it, it was one of the. It was. It's a. I don't want to get it. <laughs> we played with Sheldon. Yeah, and we just had a lot of. All right. Anyway, so we did that, and it ended up being a disaster. It was oh. the the worst session of the game we have ever Interesting. had. It ended the, up being horrible. The takebacks ended up being way better playing way, way better. than the jerk rules. Yeah. The jerk rules became the, the, the season of misery. The guy that caused the jerk rules ended up just doing horribly uh, with that. And um, Tim and I, were. there were times when we talked about this later, we were rooting for him to win in the game so that because the whole mood of the room would go down every time he made a mistake. Yeah. And we were just saying, please don't make a mistake. Yeah. We would actually want to lose. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which, it's, that's bad. Yeah, that, that sounds happened. horrible. So I think, in general, though, with this answer, it depends on the game. You can't really have a blanket. We have to stick to the rules or we always allow to. It's just, it's a case by case. Sometimes you can't rewind. <laughs> You just can't. Yeah, like, it's, it's too difficult. Like yeah. uh, use Cyclades as an example. If you're bidding and all the bids are locked in, and you start rewinding, you're like, "Oh, I, I realize I, I had enough I, coins I really, to bid on this." Yes. You can't do it yeah. because it, too many things are have have been locked in. But for something like I forgot to take a gold because I miscounted my cornucopias, fine, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I don't like takebacks though. In gen, just in general, I don't mind them one offs, but. It's not because I'm a rule stickler. I'm the opposite. I don't. I want the game to just move along, and I don't want people to get obsessed with the perfect turn. Yeah. Too many times we get obsessed with, oh, I forgot to do this, and because I forgot to do that, my turn wasn't perfect. Can right. I? Do you guys mind if I rewind it? You know what? Just who cares? I mean, so your turn wasn't perfect. Yeah. If it's if it's a very simple thing and it's a rare thing. Then I think it's fine, though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and it's, it's it's the depth that you go back to. I think going back further than a turn is just is too far. Like, hey, I forgot to take this gold for the last four turns, so I'm going to take it all now. That could be like an overbalancer. So I think you know, yeah, you know, maybe we can just get it for the turn you just had, and you know, sorry, the other three turns, you're <laughs> you know, you'll you'll never forget now. But to to rewind too far can be a very game unbalancing thing as well. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily because. Sometimes I like to think about that as if you were playing it as a computer game and the game would do it for you, if you didn't forget, then I feel like you should get whatever that thing is. Yeah, see, I think that's part of the game too, right? I mean, a lot of them, the mechanics of things, it's, it goes down to the, oh, hey, you know, I should have played this card last turn. Well, then I don't know. Then changes, you know, it can change. Well, now it's changing your hand and you're changing, you yeah. know, what happened that turn and... I, I agree with Tim. I, I think that there are so many times in games that I haven't done that when I realized I screwed up. And I just, I don't want to, 
I need to learn how to do it. So I screwed up and it's a mistake and let's move on. Yeah. If it's just something like, okay, when this thing triggers, you're supposed to get a gold. I don't know if I, first of all, they're not going to remember how many turns they screwed it up. And if it's been like a while, if it was someone that took with me, I'd be like, oh, just take a couple gold. Like yeah. we're not going to try to count back five and take five gold. Well, but you can't. You can't do that. Just yeah. grab a couple gold, and I think everyone's okay. With it. It's like a compromise. Yeah. Okay, we'll give you something, but maybe not necessarily everything. Yeah. But I, the guideline I like to use for that though is if it was an option or not. If it, if there was an if it was an option that you yeah. d- decided not to do or you forgot, but it was an option, then sometimes maybe we're less likely, especially if it you having something would have changed the turns after you. And I think that's one of the things he says, like, if it doesn't affect anything, that could be, sometimes you don't know what it's going to affect. Right, Like, if people are paying attention to what you have and making decisions based on that, and they've taken turns, I think those people need to speak up and be like, well, if you would have had that, I wouldn't have done this, so I'm not really okay with you taking it. Right, and all of a sudden you're rolling back three turns. Right. And yeah, it's just not possible. We've we've had this happen in X-Wing, where my brother's had guidance chips, and he's forgotten to flip one of his dice to a hit. And that's been across six or seven ships because he's got them on all of his ships. So that's potential lots of damage that he could have done. But you can't really roll it back because I don't remember what defense dice I rolled. I don't, you know, that ship might have been gone then and it actually got to shoot. And, you know, there's just, there's just no way to really roll it back. Even though he's done with his, he just finished his turn with those and I've started some other stuff, it's, it, it's almost impossible to roll back to that because... The ramifications are they're unknown. I don't remember what I rolled. You don't remember what you rolled. You just knew you were supposed to have another hit. Well, does the this ship have another hit? Did it even get the fire? Did it you know? So you, you just can't. It's like okay, you know, you're not going to forget next turn. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm with you on that. One of the tokens that I have in my those tokens is that it's called the time traveler, <laughs> and you put it in front of the person who keeps taking their turn back. There you go. All right, I want to do two more, two and then more. we're going to wrap it up. Wrap up listeners corner. Nice. Well, this one is from J Combs fifty three. I like to hear about gateway gaming and how to use it to bring people into the hobby. So this is kind of close to where we we're just talking with some of the uh, the entry games. Yeah. So Ryan, why don't you go ahead and start us off? <laughs> okay. So I I would venture a guess that I've probably done tried to do this more than anyone else. At I this would table. say that is a hundred percent true. <laughs> so here are my thoughts. So this goes back to what I was saying about Splendor. If someone, if you feel someone has the potential, and, and the way that I gauge that is when I start talking about games, what do they mention that they played? And it's kind of funny that I, I always make fun of this game, but if they mention that they liked Risk, then I know I've got a potential gamer there. Because Risk, for all its flaws, is more strategic than a lot of the other older games like you know yeah, i would agree you know so i know there's some potential there and i think that a lot of people have this impression about games that they think they're all random because that's all they've played they don't realize that you can actually play games where you have to think and make decisions mm-hmm. and so that's why you want to when you want to introduce someone like that to a game to the hobby you have to introduce them with a game that makes them think and that's why i like splendor because you do have to think a lot in that game and i think uh, century is very similar you have to think about the combinations you're going to use i actually think splendor is a little more streamlined in that you're really only doing one thing the whole time you're trying to get cards that have jewels to make it easier to buy more cards 
okay, it's very simple, but there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And when I've introduced that to like the people that I've kind of targeted, every single one of them has gone out and either bought the game or told me they want to buy it after just playing it one time. Nice. And so once you once you've kind of hooked them with that with a game like that, then you can maybe introduce something like a next step one that's a little more complicated, like I mentioned Agricola. And from there, you know, it's whether or not the bug catches. But if they if they like if they're exposed to a game that they realize, oh, I actually had to do some thinking in that game and they enjoyed it, then I think that's that's really the start that you need. And then you just kind of go from there. Yeah, one of the things you do really well is you know your audience, too. So you can kind of determine, based on what you know about that person, what kind of game works for them. Like you mentioned, Risk is a way to determine that they like strategy games. But you could also, uh, like, for example, Esther's parents don't read English, so you could gear a game toward them. Right. And knowing your audience and knowing what sort of game to get them into it is huge because it depends on the person. Also... I think good, concise rules explanations help. Yeah. If they start like tuning out and rolling their eyes and yawning as you're explaining, that's a problem. You need a game that, that they can pick up quickly and make sure that there's not a lot of long turns. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you don't want them to lose interest with long turns either. Yeah. And I guess another thing I would add is maybe if you're trying to introduce someone, maybe bring two or three different games because you might not know what appeals to them. Cause I, I was talking about strategy, but there might be people who just want to play like an Ameritrash game. Yeah. Like I introduced downforce to my pastor and his wife and they really liked it. And it's, you know, there's some strategy in that game more than some other games, but it's not like a heavy thinking game, No, you know, but, but I just, I knew, I just knew that they would like that game. Yeah. So, but I brought a couple of others just in case, you know, kind of different. I I usually bring like two or three different styles. I'll bring like a dexterity game and then kind of a, like a middle, like maybe a little bit more luck, but some strategy. And then I'll bring one that's kind of pure strategy, but easy rules. And then you kind of gauge what they're interested in. Like if, like Chris said, don't be afraid to bail. If you start down for us and they start checking out and be like, oh, maybe we should try something else. Like I have this other game that um, you guys might like better. Right. Yeah. And don't be afraid to do that. Cause if, if their very first experience is bad because you picked the wrong game, you might not ever have a chance with that person again. So last question, last question, last question. So the last question is by Evanovich 13 Ivanovich Ivanovich. I bet you it's Ivanovich 13. Will Axis and allies ever stop? Will risk ever stop? Never. <laughs> I'm going to say no. And here's why. Because everyone has played Risk. And when you hear about Axis and Allies, it's like, wait, you mean every piece has a different ability? Like that blew my mind when I heard about Axis and Allies. It's like, why would I ever want to play Risk if my tanks can do something different than my infantry and, my pl- and I have planes that can fly and bombers? Like I, I'll never go back to Risk again. So, do you think Axis and Allies is an upgraded version of Risk? Yes. How come there's not an Axis and Allies legacy? That would Ooh. be awesome. Each game would be 12 hours. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I've, actually, I've actually only started playing Axis and Allies once, and it was on a Friday night game night, and we got about two or three hours in, and then we had to stop. And then, you know, we're, we're nowhere near finishing the <laughs> right. game. Right. No. And it was like, 
this sucks. I want to keep playing. Yeah, that game is really fun. It's just of course, long. I was, I was I was dominating, which helps. But okay. do you, you still know. think that game is fun in comparison to today's games? Because it's one of your criticisms of Risk is it doesn't stand up to the newer games. I still think Access Knowledge is fun compared to today's games. Wow. Yes. Okay. It's fun. It's fun. It's just I, too I, long. I think we need we need we need one of those. We need a day. And we're going to pick one of these long games and we're going to freaking sit down and do it. That's why I want to get TI4. Yeah. I'm in. Ed's probably in. Yeah. He was obsessed with that game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he'll like playing TI4, though. He probably wants to play TI3 with all the expansions. No, I think I think he'd be okay with it. I think he likes okay. the game. He doesn't like the setup time because it takes forever and he doesn't like trying to explain the rules because it's. They've it streamlined some of the more complicated rules. So I, I've heard. I think that would help a lot. So. Okay. And they've upgraded the components. The game is $150 MSRP. So it's like Scythe, though. So, you know, you know, it's like Scythe Collector's Edition. You saw what you got for Scythe. I mean, it's yeah. pretty cool. It doesn't look as nice as you Scythe. You got your though, money's right? worth, though. The Twilight Imperium 4 has way more components, though. Yeah. It's like a ton of Will plastic. you play it enough for it to be worth it? I think that, I think in that game in particular, like one game day is like 12 hours, like 10 hours, yeah. eight to 10 hours. I think two plays, you probably have your money's worth. See, my, my buddy Jay's going, 12 hours? Yeah. We we do 12 hours, and we do that for the next six months to get through our game. Yeah. And they have no problem with it. Advanced Third Reich, they will play this game for six to eight months every Saturday for 12 hours. I, I would actually do an Axis and Allies day, too. The only downside to that, though, is it can be really long between your turns. Yeah. And especially if you're playing four or five players. And you, you do a little side game of X-Wing. That's true. While you're not, but you have to, yeah. While the person's thinking, but you do have to think a lot about your turn before it comes up because you have to move a lot of different pieces. But I don't, I don't know if Chris could handle. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of axes and allies for that reason. Uh, You ever played? Yeah. Oh, okay. Long time. One fun thing about axes and allies and teams is that we used to do though is you go off into another room and you strategize with your teammate while the other person's thinking. uh, There's a lot of waiting in this game. It's like Warlight. Axis and allies to me is like. Yeah, but with a warlight, I can go and do my go to my work in my office when they're making well, their turn. Making and their then, turns, yeah. Well, isn't one? Didn't you? I liked in warlight how we would strategize in the chat when True. we were on the same team. That part was really fun. Yeah, and and that was fun in Axis and Allies. I thought when you played as teams, but usually that game is better to play one on one. Unfortunately, yeah. And yeah, if you're USSR, you're that's when you just need to set up your uh, your Duchess some webcams. Okay. And then you, you you take your turn, and then you can ping the other people. Our turn's done. They can look at the state of the board, and then start playing their turn. You can go off and you know mow the lawn and all that kind of stuff. You just kind of do a disconnected game that you just keep logging into webcams. So like, wait, would you would they have the same game set up on their end? So they'd have to move everything. Too? No, no, no. Just you, you got to set up at your house on the Duchess, and you just have webcams, and they log in, and they can see what you're doing on the game board. But then while you guys are doing your turn, they can go off and you know they can tune in later. Oh, you're saying you're playing like in real time, but the person who isn't playing is like doing something yeah, else. He can, he can go off and mow the lawn and take his turn. <laughs> Doesn't sound fun. Take his turn next. You know, you the basically next day just or said something. mowing the lawn was more fun than waiting for someone's turn. And I think I think Chris would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. Uh, all right. So, what, what, are we all agreeing that it will never stop? Yeah, I don't think it'll ever stop. I mean, yeah. it's 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 the is the theme. It's you know war. It's that's in across so many games, you know, if, even if it's World War One farming. I mean, there's there's always war and there's always battles and ships and tokens and 
Yeah, it's going to keep going forever. The best thing that we did with Axis and Allies is we I actually went out and bought over 100 six-sided dice so that when you had a big battle and you had like a ton of, of units, you could roll them all at the same time. Nice. It was amazing. So my set is stocked with dice. Like I have tons and tons of dice in there. And and we would and you sometimes have to borrow from the other person because you had so much stuff. Wow. And then when the game was over, we would do like a battle royale. We'd take all of our units left on the board and split them up on either side, and it's like duke it out to see who won like the final battle. Nice. So it was like a consolation prize. If you lost the game, you might be able to win that final battle. And like the first roll you do, sometimes you're literally holding dice in your t-shirt. Because you have like over a hundred dice, <laughs> and you just like we throw them into the game lit, like the box. Like, oh yeah, it's like yeah. a huge box. It's awesome. That's crazy. Best some of the best memories. You, you ever. could equip like thirty three GURPS players. <laughs> I could. <laughs> I have a lot of six sided dice for X's and allies. <laughs> well, I think that wraps up episode thirty seven. That, that's you know we the listener the listeners corner. It's the first listeners corner. Yeah, and I think that was a that was a successful listeners corner. Yeah, and I, I want to mention the prophet had. He had an interesting name that he submitted for this. He he wanted to call it FAQ. Okay. But then I was thinking, I was thinking that's not that bad of a name, but then I'm thinking it's really not answered. It, it's it's really frequently unanswered questions. Okay. <laughs> and then I was thinking we can't call we can't that. use that. <laughs> <laughs> So, profit, good idea. It just didn't work out. Okay, we can close the episode oh, yeah. now. So, you can find out more about our podcast at outofgamepodcast.com. Come to our guild, BGG Guild 1990. I think we have 231 listeners. I haven't done a check in a while of where we rank on the listeners, like the the, the followers, the guild members. Remember I was I was seeing like what percentage we were like as far as who had the most guild members? Yeah. I haven't done that in over a year. I should go check that because I think we were maybe in like the top 25% at one point. While you're on our page, click the link to join our Slack group. Now, the Slack group, I'm going to have to say, only has like 15 people. (laughs) Yeah. You need some more in there because that's that's the easiest way to chat. Yeah. And the great thing about the Slack group, I just want to reiterate, is that Tim and Chris both have it on their phones. And they get notifications that they can actually access while they're at work. Yeah. So... If you want to ruin some productivity, join the Slack group. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Stitcher at OOG Podcast. You can send us an email at outofgamepodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail on the profit line at 40 OOG OOG 80. That's 406 646 6480. Profit hotline. <laughs> for, for great games at amazing prices, shop at coolstuffinc.com. And for more great podcasts of the Dice Tower Network, go to dicetowernetwork.com. Good night. Good night. Good night. But anyway, before we get to Listener's Corner, let's jump into our table talk. What about Spawn Point? Let's jump into our Spawn Point. (laughs) 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 So, I'm going to start. Don't you want to redo the Spawn Point? No, it was good. I liked it. You liked it? It was good? Yeah, it was fine. Felt good? I'm okay with it. Okay. All right, let's roll. (laughs) Rolling. Still rolling.
Are we giving away another game? It's pretty cool. We are. Future Ryan's going to come in later and explain that. Okay, cool. That might have been last episode. (laughs) (laughs) Future Ryan has to figure that out. That's complicated. (laughs) Yes. This is like really complicated. Future Ryan has to come in in the last episode. (laughs) Right. Future Ryan has to go back to the future. Future Ryan's busy. Yeah. Speaking of how how's Alvaron, I missed like the last two sessions. I know. What's up with that? And I haven't caught up yet. Was the arena maze announced yet? No. Okay. No, no arena maze. There's going to be an well, arena we maze. Did, we did an arena maze once before. Delarian. Was oh, it's Delarian. And we no, did it in Delarian. No, that was Draw. And we did it in Delarian. We didn't do it in Delarian, though. Really? I don't think so. I thought we did one in Delarian. Don't tell me every campaign ends up with an arena maze. No, oh, yeah. No, Delarian didn't do that. Well, we better have one. It's like the best thing ever. This is like Star Wars. Everything ends up with something there's big two, one. There's two things that, that continuously reoccur in, in every campaign. One is there'll be some meeting with all the players, like a big meeting where we can just like be smart mouths. Like that's usually what it turns like yeah. turns into. And then there's always an arena maze. Like once a bunch of the NPCs have been established and you understand their personalities and stuff, we usually have an arena maze. Yeah, the mm. problem is the group hasn't gone to Jendar. Well, we started there. No, just to the no. temple district. No, I know it's all about the temple. Slater already moved. You know, I don't think the listeners care about this. Oh, this is a good, this is a good off, off air conversation. In fact, you should just edit this part out. All right. I don't know if I agree with you. Really? You think they care? Uh, Alvaron? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry. Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, but didn't explain why. (laughs) I've got my finger on the pulse. That's one of the weirdest spawn points ever, I think. All right, what's going on? You okay? I I think I have an eyelash in my eye, but uh, it's like phantom because now I don't feel it. So right. we're gonna we're gonna sally forth. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's like we're all high right now. Yeah. What's going on? All right, well that was our spawn point, I guess. It's time to move on to our table talk. Table talk. No listeners' corner. Yeah, but it's the table talk. The table talk is about listeners' corner. What? I guess we could just no, call it listeners', listeners corner. corner. All right, fine. It's time to move on to listeners' corner. Insert sound effect. <laughs> Dang it, I need one. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have an eyelash? I don't see an eyelash. All right, it's a phantom thing. Okay. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Beep. As time goes on, having complex rule sets is a bad thing, I think, for a strategy game. IMO. IMHO. Sorry, I'm trying that to talk like a millennial. With all this. 